highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And so there was this dependence, this relationship with the king of Edom, and that's why all three of them finally come against Moab. They go up in the north. So verse 10, the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And you can, you can hear the king of Israel, his panic, but Jehoshaphat says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, all struck with Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The combined armies of Judah, Israel, and Edom had to travel a considerable distance to attack Moab from the south. In Jehoram's guilty conscience, he was convinced that this combination was going to face the judgment of God. His own sin made him think that everything that happened against him was the judgment of God. King Jehoshaphat was just the opposite. He always looked to inquire of the Lord, which is how we should act in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues in chapter 3 in the book of 2 Kings. It tells us that he tried to ally himself with him. And then another prophet comes to him and says, don't get involved with this man. Stay away from him. And then, the, the, and, and then finally, we see him here. You know, now with Ahaz, or, um, excuse me, Jehoram, he's doing the same thing. It's like you would think that he would have learned a lesson already. But why would Jehoshaphat go back and do the same with Ahab's other son, Je- Jehoram? I mean, I I thought about this, and I'm like, well, maybe Jehoshaphat was a peacemaker. He's trying to make peace and have some kind of good feeling between the king of the north and with him as well, when he should have remained separate from the northern kings of Israel, or the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom. And it is somewhat understandable in the natural for Jehoshaphat to do this. I'm sure he didn't want to have enemies with the north. And have to go battle uh, to go at, uh, to battle against them at some point, brother against brother, tribe against tribe. I'm sure he wanted to avoid all that, which is all fine and good. But I believe God would rather have had Jehoshaphat remain unentangled with the kings of the north because he would have had a better uh, relationship with with the Lord, and he would have kept his people out of danger, and God would have sustained him, come what may. It's always important to obey God regardless of how things look on the outside because obeying the Lord is always harder than caving in and doing the thing that everybody else does. It will always be harder to follow Christ and to be obedient to God than it will to cave into sin. That is easy. That comes like breathing to us. It's so easy to do that. And yet to stay true and stay faithful to Christ is a very difficult thing. And isn't it true that it says, the, the old adage, it says the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We see the same thing in Ahab's son. 
But what does the Bible tell us? You know, what, Joshua, what are you doing? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, it says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And the obvious answer is nothing. There is, no, there is nothing that holds them together. They are complete opposites of one another. And what accord has Christ with Belial, or somebody who is a, a, a satanic character, somebody who is governed by the flesh, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Again, we have to be uh, uh, reach out to unbelievers and stuff like that, but we are not to be like this with them. We're not to engage with them and, and enjoy the things that they engage. No, you be separate and stand on the outside and invite them to come to the true light. Invite them. Be separate from all of that nonsense and invite them out. Don't get back in the mix of it and say, well, I'm going to evangelize my friends who are all these bad guys. Hey, listen, you come out from among them and let them come to you. And if they will not come to you, then so be it. You continue to pray and be the good example. But do not go back into the the den of vipers. Do not go back into the den of vipers. Get out of the den and call them out one by one. And then it goes on in Corinthians, it says, And what part is a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Yes, all of us here tonight, we are the temple of the living God. The Spirit of God indwells us if you are a believer. And let me say this, if the Spirit of God does not indwell you, you are not a Christian. I don't care how much money you give to the church. I don't care what you do for the elderly woman across the street. I don't care that you gave up smoking and stopped swearing. I don't care about any of that and neither does God because he looks down and sees either his image upon you by his spirit or he does not and if you are not a born-again believer you are not a Christian I don't care what you do how you say it what you give it makes no difference that's why Jesus said to a very religious man Nicodemus Nicodemus you must be born again That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You need to be born from above. You need to ask God for the Spirit of God to come in you. Otherwise, you are not a Christian. You are just a polished sinner. (laughs) That's all we are. Apart from the Spirit of God, I can clean up my act and I can you know, stop chewing tobacco and stop dating women who do, and and I can do all these things. And unless the Spirit of God is in me, all I'm going to be doing is just nothing. It's, it's worth nothing. Because God's not going to go on, wow, you did all those things? Wow, you did more righteousness than Rob Kellogg. But Rob Kellogg knows me. And I don't know who you are. Depart from me. Is the Spirit of God in you tonight? Are you a believer or are you playing games? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of living God, as God has said. Notice, God says this, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, here's the exhortation, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and don't touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's God speaking to you and me tonight. Don't you love to hear those things? 
He wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to love on you. And we are the ones who step out of the way. We are the ones in our disobedience. We move out of the way of God's blessing. And God's going, hey, come on back. Confess it and get back into fellowship with me. Jehoram would not have any of it. And yet we are to lead lives of consecration. Unlike, you know, Jehoshaphat made a big error here. Three times he did this. And I believe Jehoshaphat, who was one of the better kings of Judah, he was. There was only a handful of them that were really good, and he was one of them. He was a reformer king. He did some really good things, but, but why, you know, he, need, he needed to live that life of consecration, and he wasn't really walking in that like he should have. But we are not to be like the world. If Jesus has placed his spirit in me and has redeemed me from death and hell and put me into his glorious kingdom, why would I want to be like the world? Why would I want, like Jehoshaphat, why would I want to even be near this guy? I know who his parents are. They were idol worshipers as well. And he is no different. It's one thing to go tell him and tell him the truth and give him the love of God, yes. But don't get into business with him. Don't get into his endeavors with him. No, you be separate. Stay out of it. What does it tell us in Corinthians 15, verse 33? Evil, evil company corrupts good habits. Remember that. Evil company corrupts good habits. But awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some who have not the knowledge of God, some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, Paul said to the Corinthians. Evil company corrupts good habits. So verse 8, it says, Then he said, Jehoshaphat said to King Jehoram, well, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. Now, the way this would work, remember our map, if you will, of Israel. You've got, just so you can understand where this is, you've got the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and you've got the Dead Sea over here, and Moab is down here. So what they would do is, Jerusalem is somewhere over here. They're going to actually go all the way down and go underneath the, the Dead Sea, and then come up north into, through Edom, finally into Moab. And that was the path. And the reason they chose that path is because going up around the north part of the Dead Sea, that was very fortified on that side for them to get into the border of Moab. So they took the path of least resistance, which was a smart military thing, sort of. And even God, in the midst of all this, God is still going to be directing things, and it's amazing to me. And so, uh, in fact, uh, there was a stone that was discovered in 1868, and it's now in the Louvre in Paris. I've actually seen it with my own eyes. It's called the Moabite Stone. Have anybody heard of it? The Moabite Stone? It's on display in the Louvre, and there's a, a transcription of what exactly what, um, what is said on that stone. And basically, this gentleman that we're talking about now, this king of Moab, this man named Misha, who was the king of Moab, he wrote on this stell, which is basically just a thing that he engraved on this stone, he engraved what we're reading now. He engraved in there this battle between him and Israel. And he engraved in this battle that, as we just read, we read through the whole chapter, toward the end, he, he, he doesn't lose his life and he doesn't lose his capital, but a lot of men were killed. And then he sacrifices his own son, and the people of Israel, the kingdom, and, and Judah, for whatever reason, they're like, this is just, we're out of here, is basically what they did. And that was like the camel, that, the straw that broke the camel's back. 
to see this man do this horrendous thing, even though they were doing similar evil things. For whatever reason, they decided to leave. And this Misha attributed Israel and Judah and Edom fleeing or leaving them after he's pretty much destroyed, except he still has his life and the men in the palace there. But they they decide to leave these three kings. And Misha, in this Moabite stone, he says, it's because my God was with me. Chemosh, this God that I worship, this false God, he is the one who preserved me and protected me from the king, from the God of Israel. And some other things the stell says, the Moabite stone. But th- this, is, this is where it came from. And this is the man who wrote the stone. He says, me. He, he wrote this in the first person. So verse 9, the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. Remember, Edom is just to the south of Moab. So you got the Dead Sea here, you got Edom here, and then you got Moab. And so they marched on that roundabout route seven days. So they go all the way down from Jerusalem in that area, and they go all the way down the southern end, going east, and then finally going up north. And they had a problem because there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. As they would travel to go into battle, they would take their own food source. They would take the Angus beef with them. Hallelujah. They would take the herd of, a herd of cattle with them because they need to eat. But they ran out of water. So that kind of creates a problem. And this king of Edom, uh, the reason he is going with the king of Israel and he's going with the king of Jeru- or Judah is because Edom was a vassal king of Judah. And so there was this dependence, this relationship with the king of Edom, and that's why all three of them finally come against Moab. They go up in the north. So verse 10, the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And you can, you can hear the king of Israel, his panic, but Jehoshaphat says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And so one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha is here. And so um, it's interesting that when Jehoshaphat went out with Ahab uh, in First Kings chapter 22, he inquired of the Lord at the very beginning before they went out. But now we see them already in process. They're already in trouble, and they hadn't inquired of the Lord at all. But finally, thank God, Jehoshaphat has enough spirituality in him to say, hey, we better inquire of the Lord now. We're in trouble. Where's the prophet? And Elisha was either, either with the, the company or he was very nearby. And so they, they go to him. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to hear Elisha. And then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? So Elisha knows his, Jehoram's father because he's, he served and was... Uh, he. he he was, his ministry was at the same time as Ahab, and so Elisha knew the wickedness of Ahab, and he certainly knew his son, Jehoram, and he's like, what have I got to do with you? Why don't you go back home and, and, and serve your mother and your father's gods, the, God, the Baal and the Ashtoreth? Go and, go and serve them, because that's really where your heart is. Why are you coming to me? And so he sternly rebukes this man, 
<laughs> and he says, go to the prophets of your mother and your father. And, and then the king of Israel said, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So this king of Israel is clearly becoming unhinged because this is the second time now that he said the same thing. He's realizing he's in a real pinch. He doesn't know how to fix it. And Jehoshaphat is going, well, let's talk to the Lord and see what he says. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not for uh, that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, because Elisha loved Jehoshaphat because he was a good king. Were it not that I regarded his presence, I would not even look at you nor see you. That's pretty strong rebuke, wouldn't you say? If, If Jehoshaphat wasn't even in your presence, I wouldn't even waste my time with you guys. That's basically what he's saying. But now bring me a musician. (laughs) Bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. See, Elisha was so frustrated. And I love the humanity of this, this wonderful prophet because he was frustrated with this whole thing and he didn't like it at all. And because of his own emotions, he needs to settle down. And so what? He, he asks for a musician to come, and music is soothing, isn't it? Music has a way of just quelling this anxious heart of ours. And most people, when they want to relax, what do they do? They listen to music. If you're really hectic and you want to relax, you would listen to Beethoven's symphony, one of those symphonies. Or you listen to a Brahms symphony. So he brings a musician. And music can be either used for good or ill, doesn't it? Can't it? Because we know that Satan often uses music for his own means when God intended music to glorify him. I'm just going to paraphrase a few things here for you. But in Ezekiel 28, God is speaking through uh, Ezekiel, and he's speaking to the power behind the king of Tyre. And the power behind the king of Tyre is nothing more than Satan himself. And, 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 and God is addressing Satan, Lucifer, addressing him directly uh, through this king. And he goes on and he says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. This is Ezekiel 28, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, all the bling. It was all around you. And, and the workmanship of your, of your timbrels and pipes was prepared in you on the day you were created. Yes, did you hear that? Satan was created. He's not equal with God. He was a created being, and he was originally supposed to bring glory to God, and perhaps through worship, or, or, or somehow he was able to uh, obtain the worship of all of creation and bring it before God, and he himself was uh, uh, outfitted in his body, evidently, uh, with timbrels and pipes, and it was prepared for you, God says, on the day that you were created And so Satan is very much into music. That's why he has perverted it. That's why many of our children are listening to garbage that's affecting their soul and thus affecting their behavior and their thoughts and their actions. What kind of music do you listen to? I'm sure that when Elisha said, bring me a musician, the the musician didn't come and play, you know, Crazy Train or Smoke on the Water or Stairway to Heaven. Music. Because I'm a musician, I'm a worship leader, I know how important music is. 
But music is powerful. That's why politicians use it when they, when, they, when they go out into the different cities and places they campaign. They know, they try to get popular artists of the day to play at their rallies. They know that if they can capture the ears and the heart of the people, they are almost there for a positive vote. They do. They use music. You look, everyone, I mean, everybody has, every politician has their puppet musician or group of musicians that agree with them politically, and they exploit them. And they're glad to be exploited because they get more notoriety and more press. But Satan has hijacked music, and in the last 20 years or so, all of the talented musicians, they flock to play for the devil. And they're all selling records and millions of records. But now there are even more talented people within the last 20 years in Christian music that are playing for the Lord. But the temptations of them are great right now. And there is a great uh, uh, potential for them to compromise because now it becomes a business. And there's a lot of Christian artists that started off with the right heart. They wanted to worship God, and it was a good thing. And all of a sudden, the, the machinery of the music industry starts cranking. And even in the music industry, there's a machinery about it. And if they're not careful, they can be sucked up into the whole machine of the whole thing, and it becomes something different than what they started. And many of them, I think, would long to just go back to their local church again. And just say, you know what, I'd like to get back. But there's people who fill those positions that are doing a better job than you. Yeah, you got all the millions of records. And yeah, you'd fill the house, but you'd have a a bunch of um, uh, compromised Christians sitting there listening to you. Hopefully they'll hear the gospel and be saved. But notice that God finally speaks through Elisha, and, and thus says the Lord, uh, God speaking through Elisha, says, Make this valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And I notice this in verse 18, it says, And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. For him to do this without rain, without any kind of deluge, God does this. He says, Just be faithful to make ditches. Just create dish, dig these ditches in this valley and in the morning the water is going to be there and they simply and this is a simple matter for what the Lord's going to do and then I love what it says in verse 8 oh and by the way remember that thing you were asking about for deliverance and to conquer the Moabites that's going to happen too it's almost like a postscript yeah that's I'm going to do that too but I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm going to do now Is anything too hard for the Lord? I would encourage you to read Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 16 and 17. We don't really have the time. Jeremiah 32, verses 16 and 17. I would encourage you to read Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 14, where you know, the Lord comes and tells Sarah, you know, her and Abraham in their old age, that they're going to have a son at their ripe old age that they are, you know, in their 90s and, and stuff like that. And, and, and Sarah laughs, and God says to Abraham, I heard you, Sarah laugh. And he approaches Sarah, Sarah, you laughed. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. You laughed. But know this, about this time next year, you're going to have, you're going to have a, a baby bump. Are you kidding me at my old age? Yes. Is anything too hard for the Lord, he says? 
Is anything too hard? And that's a good question for us to ask. You know, as I think about this monumental project of, of even putting a floor in this whole church, you know how expensive that is? It's huge. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Or what about the Bread of Life Academy? All the preparations, all the things that we need to start that school next fall, Lord willing. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.